Welcome back to Cool Your Heels 247.com with Lillian and PWR Talk Radio, the world in your hands. And today our special guest is Dave Tamar, who's going to talk to us about undocumented students. So good afternoon, Dave. How are you this glorious chill day? Uh, very, very well. Thank you for having me, Lillian. I appreciate it. Well, it's a big subject on documented sure students, and it's even a bigger subject when you know that approximately 3.6 million students graduate from high schools all over the country, and about 65,000 of them are undocumented. And everybody knows you need at least a four-year degree to get you into the front door of any business. So what does these poor kids do? Well, uh, that's, you know, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the most troubling facts is, like you said, you have 65,000 undocumented students that are graduating from high schools every single year. Uh, you're getting uh, roughly 10,000 of them that are enrolling in college. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's a pretty modest number, um, especially when in the larger population you're looking at probably 65% of all students that are going on from high school to college. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the big question that we've been asking is with all of the, the legal limitations in this current environment that is very negative uh, for undocumented students politically, uh, what are the steps that you can take to overcome what are pretty significant hurdles to getting into college uh, and, and not just getting into, but even bigger than that, paying for it? Uh, so, uh, yeah, it does. It opens up a lot of questions. Now, with the press release I received, one of the things I'm intrigued about is that there is a series from thebestschools.org who put together a student's guide to college. And I just think that's brilliant because normal kids have trouble trying to figure out how to get into college and which college would be a good choice for them. And I would think an undocumented student would be put at a disadvantage at the beginning. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of really, really big disadvantages um, that make navigating the process uh, that much more challenging. And so part of creating these resources was to try to overcome that. Uh, number one, there are only uh, certain states in the nation where undocumented students can, can get in-state tuition rates. Uh, number two is the even uh, smaller list of those colleges that will give students an opportunity to get uh, state financial aid. Uh, I should back up and say, and this is really, really important to get out up front, a lot of undocumented students may not realize, and it's important that they do, uh, your right to attend a college, to enroll in a college, to seek application and admission is constitutionally protected. You have that right, uh, and, and that's something that maybe that information isn't proliferated enough, and possibly one of the biggest reasons is even with that right, you do not have a right uh, to access to, to financial aid, to federal financial aid. Uh, so, uh, you know, finding a way to navigate this and to actually get student aid, if at all possible, uh, it's really important. Uh, and so that's, you know, this was a big motivation for us in creating these resources was, uh, uh, yeah, it's a complicated for pro process for everybody, but there are, are hurdles and limitations for undocumented students that make that uh, yet a greater uh, uphill climb. So uh, we're, we're trying to correct that. 
So if you're in high school and you're an undocumented student, one would be the best time to sit down either with a guidance counselor or Google something in order to start applying. Because for most normal high school students, they start in their junior year. I would say early and often, um, sitting down with your counselor, that is, uh, you know, uh, one of the big things is navigating uh, to the right location. If you can find your way to a state that has a more supportive atmosphere, uh, if you can uh, find your way to access to scholarships and things that can offset the financial burden, and your guidance counselor should be one of the very first resources for trying to find those avenues forward. You can Google information, and you can certainly uh, do that independently. And, and one of the guide, you know, the ideas behind our guide was for individuals that may not have uh, counseling support. This is this is something that you can use. But you know, there's nothing like the personal touch, and uh, you know, the people in your school, in your public school, or your private school, wherever you may be. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, they're minded toward helping you overcome a lot of the challenges that are are political and institutional. Uh, public schools and, and colleges in particular, uh, they are they are allies uh, when they're doing their best work. So it's important to take advantage. So the kids can what usually take the SATs and the um, what's the yeah, ACATs, so, and they won't have any problems with taking those tests. Uh, that's right. So there are laws uh, in place. Uh, you know, there was a landmark case. Um, that that uh, took place in Texas in 1982 that made it very clear that your documentation status does not figure into whether uh, you are entitled to attend a public school and enjoy all the benefits and, and opportunities that come with that, at least at the K through 12 level, uh, and and that includes uh, you know all the tests that you're going to need to take. Uh, now uh, the same is not true again of federal financial aid. So, you know, one of the first steps that most students are, are told uh, to pursue is filling out your, your FAFSA um, and, and, you know, to determine what financial aid you would be eligible for. Uh, this is a different case for undocumented students. Uh, if you don't have DREAMer status under DACA uh, and you are an unprotected, undo undocumented student, um, you know, filling out your FAFSA a, won't create access to federal financial aid, and, and B, you may be understandably apprehensive to submit a whole lot of information about your documentation status to uh, any uh, federal agency or institution. Uh, however, you know, in our research, we did find some interesting advice on the FAFSA that we thought was important to relay, uh, that rather than submitting your FAFSA as an undocumented student, what you might want to do is complete it, uh, print it out, don't submit it online, but bring it to your guidance counselor um, and, and perhaps even in the future to colleges that you're thinking of applying to and say, Here, here's my financial information. I have it all in order. Uh, what are some special opportunities that may exist for me in my current situation? Uh, that would be considered a far better move than sending in a FAFSA, which you generally need the proper documentation or Social Security information to submit anyway. Yeah, I was thinking when I, and of course this was back in the 60s, but when I submitted to go to college, I don't remember all the documentation you needed to prove as a U.S. citizen, but I would suspect along the way you would have to. So if you're undocumented, that means that you probably are missing a Social Security. 
you are missing a citizenship to prove that you were born in this country and that you're here legally and that also have proof of where you're living as well and whether you're living with your parents or your grandparents. So, um, you know, the good news uh, is that there have been some uh, some standards and constitutional decisions uh, that have determined that your documentation status uh, is not relevant to uh, your residence, to establishing your residency, um, and whether that makes you, uh, for example, in certain states, uh, you know, eligible for in-state tuition or, or state-based aid. Um, and there are also uh, there have also been precedents determining that uh, homelessness or whatever by extension homelessness may may uh, imply uh, should also not make you ineligible for establishing uh, your residency status in a, in a particular state or community district if you're talking about a, a public school K through 12. So what that means is that you know ultimately there has been barriers broken down in terms of whether you are uh, eligible or entitled to go to school regardless of some of the documentation information that you may or may not have. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, and this, this continues to be the biggest barrier is paying for school because uh, that documentation information is absolutely necessary to get federal financial aid. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's true. That is probably the biggest reason that you see uh, that poor turnover from, you know, 65,000 high school graduates to 10,000 people enrolling for the first time, uh, far fewer than that even uh, reaching graduation. Have the kids, do they have the variety of schools that they can choose from the way normal, you know, regular kids who are citizens of this country, or are they sort of compressed in the type of schools who would welcome them into their classroom? Well, now, that it's, it's, uh, it's very state-driven. It's very state-by-state. State. You know, um, there are some states that are, um, you know, very welcoming and very accessible. Um, you know, California, Minnesota, New Mexico, Oregon, Washington, Texas, uh, these are states that at least at the, at the last time that uh, we were conducting our research, uh, both make in-state tuition rates available to undocumented students and, you know, also we have special programs designed to help undocumented students get, gain access to state-based financial aid. So in, in those instances, you know, you have a lot of open opportunities that are created by state regulation. On the opposite end of the spectrum, there are states like uh, Arizona, um, Georgia, Indiana, they they legally restrict access to financial aid for undocumented students. Um, in Alabama and South Carolina, undocumented students, at least based on state figure, uh, state regulation, cannot even attend public colleges and universities. So, um, you know, you are restricted based on the state you are in. And if you have the freedom and opportunity, you know, one of the things that our resource tries to guide you through is here are the states that are more welcoming. And, you know, of course, that carries significant financial implications. But, you know, there's the other level is if you're just choosing a positive environment, uh, these states that have less restrictive laws, they also may be more culturally welcoming and inclusive. Now, that's very interesting. Are the trade schools as uh, persnickety as the public schools and the state-run schools? 
Well, in most in most cases, it's not on a you know it's not really uh, on a school by school basis. Uh, you know, I think if you're in a state that is otherwise open, you could probably run into some some you know discrimination grievances. So you know, I think as far as opening access to schools goes, trade schools, you know, uh, online schools, and that sort of thing. The you know the opportunities are are there and they're available. It's really all about you know the economics of paying for it. So how does an undocumented student prove that he's either without funds altogether or b he does have a part time job? Do they ask these kids whether or not they're being can get any source of help from their parents or from working? Uh, yeah, I'm not certain. I think it really, you know, and this is one of the challenges, it's up to undocumented students and their families to sort of take the initiative. You know, I mean, one one thing I think is pretty clear right now is this is a very, very difficult time to be undocumented in America. Uh, and so it's, you know, to me, the most important thing is for families and students to learn what their rights are and to know how to defend them. Uh, to know what kind of advocacy organizations out there exist for them, uh, you know, and, and ultimately I think that that is what will open the most doors and lead to the most funding on a family-by-family basis, you know. Uh, I, you know, I, I think there are probably a lot of advocacy groups that are that, that reach out, uh, you know, but, you know, that's the tricky thing about this this environment for undocumented students is, that you know, there's a, a certain justified paranoia, which means that you know the outreach is going to be on you. You may not be that easy to find. So, does it also mean that if if and when a do- undocumented student gets into college, that would be protecting them from being deported? You have something on your series called Colleges for Undocumented Students. So is that kind of like getting a protection so the government can't touch them until they finish their education? Uh, it absolutely is. Now, you know, we have seen under uh, under the Trump administration that enforcement actions don't always follow the rules. Um, but uh, the rules are, A, that your college and educational personnel are under no obligation to support the immigration enforcement actions. Um, you know, and as a matter of fact, based on what constitutional law says about uh, everybody's right to an education, it really is the obligation of administrators and educators and members of campus communities to protect their undocumented and immigrant and refugee students against uh, undue enforcement actions. Uh, on top of that, um, ICE actually does have, I'll call them rules rather than laws because this is something that can be stipulated to their convenience, but there is a sensitive places clause that prevents or is intended to prevent enforcement actions from taking place uh, in sensitive locations, churches, hospitals, that sort of thing. Schools and colleges fall under the umbrella of sensitive locations. So, you know, in a sense, by being a part of a campus community, be, you know, being part of a college, uh, you're you're creating a, a layer of insulation. You know, it's not there's there's no guarantees right now as things are in flux, but uh, that is one that is a, a form of protection that comes along with going to college. 
Oh, that's pretty neat. Do you recommend that some of these kids go to visit a lawyer when they graduate just to get an understanding of what they uh, can secure for themselves as a way of higher education? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, for organizations like the ACLU and, the, and there are other uh, immigration defense funds uh, and organizations, and again, you know, the list is long, but a handful of the top ones are, are listed among our resources. Uh, you know, I, more than anything, you should know your rights um, because the possibility that they are violated is, is very real and present right now. Um, and number two, you want to establish a network and know people uh, that you can reach out to if you run into trouble because, uh, you know, it may not just be a matter of knowing your rights and being able to defend yourself against them without the proper advocacy. So, uh, yeah, it's one of the top things that we recommend is know what the laws are. They are in flux, so it's good to not only know them but to stay up to date on them and to to know what your support is and access it and make sure that you take advantage. Now, if you're going to school in a sanctuary city, would that protect you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, by way of advice, I would say, you know, a lot of, um, you know, major metropolitan cities, you know, are, are sanctuary cities, and they have stated policies of, of not cooperating with immigration enforcement action coming from the federal level. Um, and, of course, you know, those schools, or I'm sorry, those states that have also sort of defined uh, their laws to create more opportunities for, for undocumented students. If you have the freedom and the resources and the ability to, to be in such a place, uh, it is advisable and it can help a lot. Obviously, you know, it's understood that not, uh, not every family and not every student has that level of mobility. Uh, but, you know, if you do, it's another thing that can certainly um, protect you. Now, do these kids have any kind of, I know all on um, people come overseas to go to school in the United States, some of them have green cards that allow them to stay within the state until they finish their education. Do these doc, undocumented students have any kind of legal ID that they need to carry or should carry on them for protection? It is another thing that we recommend is, you know, if you have some form of identification or documentation you can carry, you know, unfortunately, that is a, that, that's something that, that largely uh, probably applies to uh, DACA recipients and not those who haven't received that protected status. Uh, you know, I imagine everybody's situation is different, uh, but for undocumented students who, who have received DACA status, they would have proper documentation, and of course, it's something that you should have on you at all times. Um, for undocumented students who have not received that status and, and because of the current sort of uh, suspension or, or what it, whatever the present situation is with the DACA program uh, and, and, you know, that it isn't accepting any new applicants, I think there are probably uh, a lot of undocumented students out there that don't have uh, that kind of documentation. Now, if you do get into a school, it's a good idea to at the very least have your student ID on you at all times. But and these same students cannot, I would think, get driver's licenses or passports? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, these students that? probably cannot obtain driver's license or passports? Correct. Correct. Probably not with undocumented students. I think in most of those cases, you need a social security number to obtain yeah. that. That's yeah. what I was thinking. So they're kind of in a trap. They really, even if they do manage to get some work, uh, they would probably have to be paid under the table? 
this is, you know, it's another uh, sort of open-ended question about what work you're uh, eligible for, uh, and uh, you know. But I, I would say that one of the good starting points. Let's let's be honest here. The path to citizenship in this country, especially right now, is to to understate it would be considered an onerous path, you know. Uh, but if you are a university student, it does offer some protection while you take steps towards that. Um, I honestly wish that we were in a position to offer uh, more help and hope than, than we can, you know. Um, but the best that we can offer is sort of a note of caution and understanding what the limitations are and finding paths to overcoming them. Uh, so, you know, as far as yeah, it, work after... it must be difficult because they certainly cannot participate in any study abroad and they right. certainly cannot participate or want to go to school abroad because they don't have the proper dent identification or documentation to enable them to do that. Correct. And, you know, I, I think, uh, but one of the you know questions you have to ask yourself is, okay, if we are theoretically pushing towards a uh, a merit based policy situation where where that is what helps determine your uh, right to remain in this country, uh, any student that can find access to uh, a higher education opportunity and come away with a degree would probably improve their circumstances over the long run. Um, but but again. This is speaking with the understanding that the, the policy tenor right now is not a welcoming one. So when a high school senior graduates and they're undocumented, are they, do they tell the uh, colleges that they're interested in that they are an undocumented student, or do they kind of wicken it, and if it comes up, they tell them, and if it doesn't come up, then they don't tell them? Well, you are under no obligation to tell anybody. However, uh, your university is also uh, under under constitutional law. They are supposed to protect your privacy and the privacy of that information and are not obligated to participate in enforcement actions uh, with immigration authorities. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But you know, one of the one of the things that an undocumented student can do to improve their chances of gaining financial support, access to scholarships, just understanding what their rights are, is to visit with a college and let them know what their situation is, um, or to speak to your guidance counselor, let them know what your situation is. Uh, in other words, the hope is that your school or university would be an ally, somebody that you can open up to and share your situation and, and, you know, that they can provide you with access to the opportunities you may not know about uh, because uh, they, you know, at the, at the end of the day, that, that is their goal to provide access to education, uh, not to, not to, you know, administer enforcement actions. Oh, exactly. Uh, you, should, you should feel safe and comfortable to speak with somebody at your school. I wouldn't. I would assume so. And the next question, of course, would be then: Do any of these colleges have? Do any of these colleges have what they call a quota of how many different types of nationalities or? skin types they're allowed to have or I sh I sure hope not. Um I don't But you hear so. a lot of that too now about Sure. Yeah, I I don't I don't know that to be true um or um you know if it is true I, I certainly couldn't make that statement about, you know, a large cross section of colleges or universities. 
Um, you know, but uh, I do know that the the goal, and, and I think most colleges and universities have have put themselves pretty much on the line with this, is you you want to seek a university that has made a statement in support of undocumented students and in support of immigrants and refugee po populations, um, especially with the uh, especially with the, the intended rollbacks of DACA, a lot of colleges and universities have spoken out, have put on record that they are allies, that they are sanctuaries, that uh, they won't be participating in any enforcement actions. Uh, so it's not just a matter of, of constitutional law and, and what we expect them to do, but you know, as you are uh, seeking colleges or universities, there are those that have explicitly stated that they are here to help protect and expand education and not enforcement. So, uh, you know, I think that has to be something that, that uh, students are looking for. Well, that's good. Could you please give everybody the, uh, the URL to where they can find the Undocumented Students Guide College? Uh, sure. So um, our website is thebestschools.org. And uh, under the bestschools.org resources section, undocumented students guide to college dot uh, com. That's or <clears throat> excuse me, it's where at a dot org. Uh, okay, terrific. And uh, undocumented students, they have a large series, and they have links to the following guides. Do you want to tell them what these guides are so they know? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, again, we like we said, some of the most important things are understanding the laws and the rights. So, you know, we have resources outlining DACA and where things stand today, as well as, you know, your rights both under the Constitution and steps you can take to protect yourself. Uh, among the other resources, uh, we have a, a lot of links to support advocacy and resources for undocumented students. Uh, we have, uh, because this is our bread and butter, we have a very specific uh, guide for students, uh, undocumented students who are interested in attending a online college, um, which again, in the conversation of affordability, uh, that's that's an important uh, opportunity to consider. Um, uh, and then outside of online schools, just in general, we offer resources on how you can choose the best schools uh, based on culture and policy and atmosphere, uh, some tips on how you can pay for school, uh, and then we offer a resource to colleges and educators and also members of the campus community, other students, uh, how you can protect and support undocumented students because I think um, that's a job for all of us in education to make sure that we are welcoming and creating opportunities for everybody who wants them. Terrific. Now, do you just want to tell them who you are again and if they need to talk to somebody, an individual, perhaps you can provide your email for them? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, I am uh, Dave Tomar. I'm the managing editor here at thebestschools.org, uh, and we also uh, run a site called The Quad outside of the Best Schools, which is, uh, you know, another outlet for a lot of tips and resources for students who are uh, making tough, tough decisions about how to go to college, where to go to college, and how to pay for it. Uh, and uh, you can uh, reach me at dtomar at thebestschools.org. Thank you. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen and students, for joining us this afternoon with Dave Tamar. And you can listen to this interview all over again on amfm247.com next Tuesday evening, which would make it the 29th from 8 to 9 p.m., also on https colon forward slash forward slash passionateworldtalkradio.com. 
and click on host and look for Cool Your Heels. You can also find it on Facebook.com forward slash Passionate World Radio, Twitter.com forward slash at Foundation, iTunes and Google Plus and LinkedIn and all the big radio directories. And before we go away and stray, Robert Louis Stevenson had this to say, whatever else we are intended to do, we are not intended to succeed. Failure is the fate allotted. Thank you all very much for listening. And remember, please keep listening. Thank you.